Thank you for joining us for this chapel message from the campus of Columbia International University in Columbia, South Carolina. Our mission at CIU is to educate people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. There is a remote region of Siberia with deep roots in Sakha culture and especially in the traditional religion of animism. This was a region of many Sakha shamans. The Sakha people throughout the region have lived for countless generations in fear of these shamans, including their memorials and tombs. My friend Sarglana was born there. She is a quiet-spoken, intelligent Sakha woman who is gifted in languages, and she became a Christian while studying for her master's degree, and after graduating, she was asked to serve to help to translate the Bible into Sakha. Sarglana asked my friend Vera, a Ukrainian missionary, uh, to go visit her home village in this region. Vera and her co-workers were the only believers who had ever visited this region, other than Sarglana herself on her visits home. Vera told me how when they arrived at Sarglana's village, her family greeted them with typical Saha hospitality, a table loaded with food, and uh, they insisted that the missionaries try the raw fish and the bear fat. It's so good for you. <laughs> In typical northern fashion, the missionaries sat around and sang after the meal, but they sang songs that the local Saha had never heard before. Christian songs in their own language. As the missionaries sang, the family recorded the whole thing on their home video because they were so amazed. Vera told me, we could tell that their hearts had been touched when they began to flood us with questions. Sarglana's brother wanted to know how to repent. He wanted to know how to live after repentance and if there was a need to stop feeling, feeding the spirits of the fire. Her father asked about creation and God's role as creator. They both wanted to know about baptism. What is it? How do you do it? Why is it significant? The father and the son eventually made a plan to visit the capital city where Sarglana was living to learn more. In the meantime, Sarglana's aunt Luba, who lived in a village not far from the capital, got really sick. Aunt Luba called Sarglana and said, I'm sick, and I'm coming into town, and you will take me to the shaman. <sighs> Luba had a very strong will and was not willing to take no for an answer. Sarglana didn't want a conflict with her aunt, so she came to Vera to pray for wisdom uh, for the situation. For several days, they played, prayed. God answered in a very special way. The weekend Luba was supposed to arrive ended up being the same time that Sarglana's father and brother were in town to find out more about God. So Vera and Sarglana and her family met with Luba and showed her the video of singing Christian songs in her language that had been made on the missionary's trip to the village. The Christian songs in her language touched her very deeply. Sarglana also read to Luba from the New Testament in Saha language that she had been translating. Luba's response to the singing and the joyful faces of the Christians was to change her mind. She didn't want to go to the shaman anymore. She said, I love those songs. You will take me to those people. <laughs> Sarglana was, of course, very happy to do that. They sang many songs. They shared a meal together. 
She left, uh, Luba left the place happy and couldn't stop talking about God. Vera told me this experience in the 1990s. She said, I am convinced that the music of the Saha is a key that will open doors. I look forward to the day when a host of Saha churches exist that will sing a new song to God in their own heart music and their own heart language. These events happened early in our ministry in Siberia, shortly before we came to CIU. And it was one of the many events that convinced me that the future of mission is local worship. In a day when globalization and marketization of Christian music means that many evangelical churches around the world simply translate Hillsong and Bethel music, local congregations still have other options though. And there is a growing movement that emphasizes the importance of considering local forms in worship. This new movement, really a new discipline, a new field of study, is called ethnodoxology. I'll explain about that in a bit. Here's where we're going during my session on this topic. First, we'll start with my story about coming to CIU as a missionary serving in Siberia. Then we'll talk about what ethnodoxology is. That may be an unfamiliar word to you. Following that, we'll explore the idea of local worship. What does ethnodoxology say about what makes something local worship? And finally, I'll challenge you to take a step into this aspect of the future of mission. For me, missions didn't actually start in Siberia. I was raised as a missionary kid in Alaska. I went straight into missions after doing a music major in college. As I mentioned in my breakout session yesterday, for most of my life, my identity as a musician and my identity as a missionary were completely separated. It wasn't until I was in my 30s that I began to think about how the two might have some sort of overlap, forming a true vocation for me. So the integration of music and missions began for me with our cross-cultural service in Siberia. Here's a very furry picture of my wonderful husband, Bill, and our two children, James and Catherine, more than 25 years ago in Siberia. All in all, we lived as a family in northern Russia for about a decade, and I continued to visit for the next 15 years up until the year before the pandemic. So this is us right outside our home in the mid-90s after moving to Siberia. Our initial church planting years were spent very far from the Russia you see on the screen. This is the Russia that Americans see in the movies and the news, but instead we went to the capital city of Yakutsk in a northern Siberian region of the Russian Federation. Initially as consultants for a church planting team that was largely comprised of Belarusian and Ukrainian church planters missionaries like Vera. Although we were also joined by some Americans and Canadians as well. The capital city of Yakutsk in the Republic of Saha is the coldest inhabited city on earth, according to Guinness's Book of World Records. During the winter months in Yakutsk, it averages about 40 below. Um, and uh, by the time, I, by the way, I took this picture on the way to my children's swimming lessons. <laughs> my kids learn to swim in Siberia, yeah. And this is a pretty typical view for midwinter sidewalk in Yakutsk. It has frost on everything and um, habitation fog that I really grew to love. We went to the mid-90s because Russians were coming to the Lord in droves. 
they wanted us to help plant a bicultural church, though, that would be more appropriate for the minority population, the Saha. So we were asked to help these Ukrainian and Belarusian church planters to accomplish that task. These were post-Soviet years, and in the wake of the fall of the Soviet Union, the traditional music and arts of the Saha, which are very non-Western, experienced a real renaissance. This picture shows their most popular instrument, the chamus, a jaw harp, that the Saha are well known for their music mastery of. But in the early years before the story, I told you at the beginning, Russian forms of music and arts brought by the Russian and Ukrainian church planners, dominated the Saha music and arts of the church. And since the style of church music and arts were all Russian, things like guitars and Russian chord progressions, things like that, um, the Saha people didn't really feel comfortable. It really wasn't their heart music and arts. And in fact, the Saha believers were really accused by their neighbors and friends of being traitors to the traditional religion and traitors to their people. Of course, the church planters encouraged the use of Saha language, um, but initially Saha dance and poetry, um, storytelling, visual arts, things like that, were not really used or encouraged in the church plant. So we didn't actually have that many traditional artists and musicians in the church. I think it might have been a catch-22 situation where they didn't come because they really didn't feel welcome, but then we also didn't have artists and musicians in the church to create these powerful expressions of arts um, that would invite others to come. And I didn't even know really how to encourage that. I just knew that the lack of it was really creating a barrier to our church growth. So I heard stories like Vera's, and it made me begin to wonder if there was more we could do with local music and arts. My husband, Bill, also had lots of questions about how to do church planting in this kind of a cross-cultural context. So we decided that with all of these questions swirling around in our heads and with the furlough coming up, that we would get some training in intercultural studies. And after searching all over the United States for the school that we felt that would do the best job at this, we chose Columbia International University's graduate program in ICS, intercultural studies. That decision, as it turns out, was God's gift to us in so many ways. But it started with a huge disappointment. I'd heard that CIU had a specialist in some courses related to ethnomusicology and missions, and I was really looking forward to doing those courses in the graduate school. I wasn't planning on doing much more, just a few courses, probably not a full MA. When I arrived, I found out that the prof for those courses, Dr. Rowe, was on sabbatical. <laughs> Deeply disappointed, I decided to make the best of the situation. By the way, Daco, would you just stand up? Just wave to the crowd. Okay, so what do you do? The Lord is sovereign, right? So I decided to join my husband Bill in a foundational course on anthropology, which just happened to be with Dr. Robert Priest. Okay, you've seen him before. That course truly, truly changed my life. The first day I came home from class and I told Bill, I love anthropology. I want to do the whole degree in ICS. 
So, in retrospect, it was actually God's gift to me that the ethnomusicology classes were unavailable, as I would have been content to just do a few courses without the important foundation of an MA in intercultural studies. Later on, after graduating from CIU, I was eventually able to get that ethnomusicology training at other schools. But starting out with a foundation in ICS was just what I needed. And as an added bonus, Dr. Priest allowed me to do some independent studies focusing on the music and arts of the Saha, moving my knowledge of our Siberian context further, and really setting a foundation for my eventual PhD work on Saha arts. Oh, and I accompanied the ambassador choir that year. (laughs) All right. When we returned to Siberia after CIU, I began to apply what I had learned to our work with our church, leading to more stories like Vera's. Over time, applying principles of contextualization of the arts to our work with the Saha really changed how they saw their identity in Christ. They began to realize that they could use many of their cultural arts to glorify God and to worship Him. In 2007, I helped to form an arts fellowship led by local Saha people, and they planned and prayed toward a big event that was a dream for them, the first Saha New Song Festival. They sent out invitations to all of their non-Christian friends all over the republic, and they prayed and they prepared for the day of the festival. At the festival, groups came from all over uh, the Republic of Yakutia. They sang the new Saha songs they had written. They wore newly sewn national dress and regalia that they had created. They were celebrating the fact that Saha people did not have to abandon their cultural expressions to be Christians. They were learning how to contextualize, to localize their faith, and the results were amazing. The church was packed, standing room only, All the attendees were non-Christians as the regular church members agreed to stay home so that there would be enough room for them. For these attendees, it was the first time they had ever seen expressions of Christianity that reflected Saha language and culture. It was a powerful moment in the life of the Saha church. And I realized that that dream that I had shared with Vera of Saha believers singing a new song to God in their language had really come true. A few years later, at a large conference in another part of Siberia on the inspiration from the festival in Yakutsk, they held a festival of the nations with original songs and poetry from a large variety of ethnic groups. Our Saha friends were amazed and encouraged that their example was actually inspiring indigenous groups all over Siberia to engage with their local arts. In recent years, our Saha friends have gone on to use local music and arts in even more areas of their Christian worship, not just Sunday morning. They incorporate that traditional call and response, circle dance, improvised poetry genre when they have baptisms and weddings and other aspects of church life and family celebrations. The church among the Saha is finally really growing. It's still a process for them, to be honest. They're still working on what a Saha Christ follower looks like for their context, but many Saha no longer feel that they have to abandon their entire cultural identity to engage with the life of the church there. So while it was my experience in Siberia that convinced me that local arts and worship are vitally important, it was actually my time at CIU, and especially that course with Dr. Priest, that helped me to discover how to approach the issue, and it gave me a love for anthropology 
and for academics in general. So my degree at CIU opened the door to a life vocation for me of gathering, networking, and training others to use this new approach in arts and mission. This approach, which has come to be called ethnodoxology. Ethnodoxology? Hard to wrap your mouth around that one. In fact, I've heard it pronounced as ethnotoxicology. <laughs> yeah. So what is this word ethnodoxology all about? There are basically three approaches to arts and mission uh, that you could put on a continuum. The first approach uh, we call the bring it, teach it approach. It's a historical model that has been used for centuries by missionaries and church planters. It's uh, where you bring what you know and what you love, that which makes for good worship in your set of values, and you teach it to others, assuming that that's probably the best way for them to worship as well. But when you're working with people who have different cultural and artistic values than you, the bring it, teach it method ends up teaching them like another artistic language to respond to God. Sometimes people will learn that artistic language. Assuming you're right, it really is the best way to worship the Lord. After a couple of generations of people speaking that artistic language, it can even become a heart language for them, which is one of the reasons why people all over the world sing translated songs thinking that that song came from their country. <laughs> On the other end of the spectrum is the find it, encourage it model of arts engagement, in which the person crossing cultural boundaries sets their own preferences aside, assumes a humble posture, emptying themselves of their rights to worship in ways that make them comfortable, and they learn to value and appreciate the power of local ways of artistic expression, to encourage those forms of worship and witness for the church. It's really an incarnational model. So ethnodoxologists embrace a find it, encourage it model of arts engagement rather than a bring it, teach it model. In the middle, there's a model we call building bridges, and it also produces some great arts engagement, especially if you don't have a lot of time to really dig deeply into local arts. We also acknowledge that these approaches are on a continuum, and good things have happened over the years from all aspects of that continuum. So, ethnodoxology. In short, here is a short definition of ethnodoxology developed by the board of the Global Ethnodoxology Network. Ethnodoxology is the interdisciplinary study of how Christians in every culture engage with God and the world through their own artistic expressions. So it's not about using my performance specialty or my arts and mission, but about helping people in communities use their arts in responding to God's work in their lives. In other words, to respond in worship. I'd like to show you a video that explains more about what ethnodoxology is. And as I do, I'd like you to note the different kinds of metaphors used in this video to explain what ethnodoxology is. This is created by Erica and Jeff Logan with Inspiro Arts Alliance, a division of Operation Mobilization. Here we go. So what is ethnodoxology? Ethnodoxology is actually based in the biblical principles of worship. 
Ethno means people. Doxology means praise. It is the praise of the people. If you think of a symbol like a tree, what are the parts of a tree? You have the roots that go deep underground that receive the nutrients. It passes those nutrients up through the trunk and then out through the branches to the leaves and the fruit. The fruit then falls back to the ground, providing seed and nourishment back into the soil for either a new tree or back into the roots of the original tree. This is a symbol that we can use to understand ethnodoxology. You can't have a healthy tree without healthy roots. In the same way, we have to grow healthy roots in the Word of God. As God reveals Himself to us, then we respond to Him in worship. These are the fruits of the Spirit that He grows in us and in our communities. These fruits are our testimony to others so that they can see the truth about God. They are also our worship, giving glory back to God. This cycle of God revealing himself to us and us responding to him in worship can happen in a lot of different ways. It can happen in your life as you live out your faith through your daily chores, through your interactions with your family, your friends, and your work. It can also happen in an event like a worship service. Either way, through your life or through a worship service, it is a most natural process where you're responding to the revelation of who God is. Our responses to God happen within a world of culture. And because we're each in our own culture, the ways in which we express ourselves will all be slightly different. But they're all beautiful. God designed it this way. Every nation, tribe, people, and language reflecting his infinite glory in infinitely diverse ways. Unfortunately, we often get discouraged from using these diverse expressions. There are lots of reasons why. Sometimes our most natural way of expressing ourselves is also used as a way to express sin in our culture. Sometimes the way we most naturally express ourselves doesn't seem as nice as the way we see foreigners expressing themselves. Sometimes we see our mentors modeling beautiful worship and we want to worship beautifully too. So we copy what they are doing. We want to copy their heart, but often we end up copying their expressions as well. Or we're from a minority culture and we just want to fit in. So we do what others are doing. Sometimes we've been doing something the same way for so long that it's become natural to us, but for those outside of the church, it still feels very unnatural. And sometimes we're questioned. People tell us, I'm not sure what you're doing is okay. And so we wonder, is it really okay? All of these reasons, as well as many more, can be obstacles that make this pathway of worship harder than it needs to be. And this is what ethnodoxology is. Ethnodoxology is the process of removing these obstacles by the study of the word and by the study of your culture so that you can create new pathways for fellowship with the Lord and for fellowship with each other. These new pathways can be used in the church, like heart worship in a worship service, and they can also be used in a community like projects that lead to positive change, reconciliation, and redemption. All of these things fall under the heading of ethnodoxology. 
creating pathways to meet local needs through local arts. The People's Praise. That video was created by, um, as I mentioned, my colleagues in OM, and I love that metaphor of ethnodoxology as creating pathways to meet local needs through local arts. Um, I'm guessing some of you are thinking, though, isn't all of this talk about arts and mission just for the artsy people? Well, Philip Graham Ryken believes that it is part of being created in the image of God. He says, if the opening chapters of Genesis portray God as a creative artist, then it only stands to reason that the people he made in his image will also be artists. Art is an imaginative activity, and in the act of creating, we reflect the mind of the creator, of our maker. So the biblical foundations for ethnodoxology are based in part on the creativity of God and his desire to have us respond to him in this way that he has created us, to embrace this gift of creativity rather than marginalizing it. In the West, we sometimes have a distorted view of the gift of creativity. We think that only professionals and the really talented people have the right to be called creative. We need to recover a biblical theology of the arts that sees God's people as full of creativity, admittedly sometimes untapped creativity. So you've heard my story. We've looked at the definitions of what ethnodoxology is. Let's talk about some values for ethnodoxologists that help to explain what we mean by local. In 2003, I founded the Global Ethnodoxology Network, or GEN. So we are celebrating our 20th anniversary this year. I can't even imagine celebrating 100th. That's, that's amazing. I'll talk more about Jen in a minute, but one of the significant projects that happened during the pandemic with the network was that we created a statement of core values. I'd like to acknowledge the work of my friend and colleague, Dr. Brian Schrag, and his outstanding work on the um, foundational draft of these value statements. He's here with Izzy Bongo this week. I hope you can get a chance to meet him and others in the band. You should really talk to them. You can see the completed seven core um, value statements here at that link, uh, worldofworship.org slash core values. I won't go over all of them today, so we just have time for a few, but I'd like to explain what, it, what we mean by local when we talk about local worship. I'll start with a story about an experience I had in southern Siberia that illustrates what local worship is not. In 2008, Bill and I took a group of ethnodoxologists to the Republic of Tuva, which is a southern Siberian region of the Russian Federation, an area right next to Mongolia, which is known for throat singing, which is an unusual form of vocal production that has fascinated ethnomusicologists for decades. The evangelical churches in Tuva had both Russian and Tuvan believers in them. And just as we had experienced in Yakutsk, most of the worship of the church was expressed in either Russian or Western styles of music and arts. We were there to encourage them in their local styles of music and arts and worship. But it was a rough task. Some of the, in some of the churches, people in charge of the worship ministry had really specific ideas about how things should be done. Remember, the background of this context is the Russian Federation, where often minority groups like the Saha and the Tuvans are really looked down on 
and marginalized in society. Unfortunately, this often includes in the church. At one church in particular, I met with the Tuvans on the worship team. I asked them about the music and arts expressions of the church. They told me that the team met on Saturday afternoon at 3 o'clock to practice for church the next day. They said, our worship leader, a Russian, rehearses with us for three hours at least to help us learn translated hill songs for the service the next day. Sometimes after even three or four or five hours, we still can't do a good enough job to make our worship leader happy. Sometimes the next day after all that rehearsal, he'll just cut the song and say, you know, you guys just really didn't get it. The whole thing is very disheartening for us. So that's an example of not using local expressions in worship, but how does ethnodoxology actually describe its values for local worship? So the first value um, that Jen developed was the idea of Christian worship in relation to Christian worship. Ethnodoxology celebrates the stunning variety of Christian worship patterns in the global church. Yesterday and today, you've been experiencing some of that stunning variety uh, of Christian worship patterns by worshiping with Izzy Bongo. For some of you, this has been a glorious window on what worship in heaven might be like, and you are rejoicing that CIU has seen how appropriate it is for a conference on the future of mission. For others, it's been challenging, (laughs) possibly even uncomfortable as you tried to figure out What were those planners thinking? (laughs) I hope that this session will help in that regard and help you to see what a group like is, why a group like Izzy Bongo has an important role in helping us to expand our idea of what worship is like around the world and to begin that important ethnodoxology skill of being able to set aside what is comfortable and learning to join in with styles that challenge us and stretch us singing and worshiping in solidarity with brothers and sisters around the world. So the global church exhibits an amazing variety of worship patterns. We believe that it demonstrates the vastness of God's creativity and the diversity of the body of Christ, a diversity that is of course already visible but will be celebrated into eternity. We see in Revelation 21:26 that the glory and honor of the nations Um, One translation says the glorious treasures of the nations will be brought into the heavenly city. And since we know from John 4, 23 and 24 that what God wants from us is worship, it's quite possible that the treasures of the nations include their unique expressions of worship. So ethnodoxologists celebrate that diversity and creativity in the global body of Christ as it worships our great God. Another value related to local worship is human agency. Ethnodoxologists respect the right and capacity of people to make decisions regarding their own artistic creativity. But this value makes it clear that we don't prescribe to people what kinds of creativity they are allowed to express. We encourage them to make their own decisions based on the Holy Spirit's work in their lives and their response to the Word of God. In doing this, we draw from basic missiological principles, but also Romans 14, about not judging one another for choices in cultural matters. This goes against our natural desire to impose our own cultural values on others. But again, we're reminded of Philippians 2. In humility, value others above yourselves, 
not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Too often, outsiders have been the one to make decisions for communities, rather than trusting the work of the Holy Spirit in local decisions regarding which artistic forms to use. So especially in cross-cultural situations, but even in our own context here at home, let's resist the temptation to think that we know what people need when it comes to their arts. Related to the idea of human agency is the value for locally grounded methods of arts development. We encourage the development of a wide variety of arts in the life and worship of the church, acknowledging the importance of working with local people, and we use participatory methods. In other words, not doing for people, but doing with local people. In other words, local voices shape the outcomes of projects we do in communities. Again, drawing from Philippians 2. So ethnodoxologists have developed a number of great methods for arts contextualization. There are anything from workshops in various languages to courses at the BA, MA, and even PhD level um, uh, for teaching these methods. So these courses can help you to raise questions and open conversations with people that help them to think more deeply about their artistic resources and how they can engage them. But in all these methods, agency, the right and responsibility to make decisions, rests with local faith communities as they seek wisdom from God. So consider your arts ministry or ministries you know of and ponder the degree to which leaders are valuing the choices of local communities in these difficult issues of localization. So in summary, Ethnodoxologists advocate for locally grounded methods, methods that amplify local agency and creativity. And that brings us back to the find it and teach it, the bring it and teach it method, as opposed to the find it and encourage it. Um, historical awareness is another one of our values. And because of the predominance of the bring it, teach it approaches around the world, which have marginalized the use of local arts in churches, ethnodoxologists seek to rectify this historical imbalance by working with representatives of local, older, often rural artistic traditions. But we also celebrate urban and multicultural, multi-artistic identities and the creativity that mark more and more Christian um, communities. For both groups, really for all people, we support them as they create their own unique worship expressions. Joy Kim, the woman on the foreground of this picture, is a former student of mine. She's now a colleague on the board of the Global Ethnodoxology Network. Her master's project was to use ethnodoxology methods in a multi-ethnic urban refugee community near Atlanta. Their community provides an amazing model of ethnodoxology with multi-ethnic expressions of arts and worship, and not just music. You can see in the picture some of the examples of visual arts that they created in worship. In fact, they use movement, they use American Sign Language, hospitality, ethnic cuisine, crafts, poetry, proverbs, cultural forms of greeting, and they even structure their the gatherings um, in all kinds of different ways that reflect who they are. So they also have multi-generational activities that involve everything, everyone from the children to the elders. So the main idea is not that local arts have to be traditional, but that they include some arts that are created by the community, not always borrowing from other communities' worship expressions. The worship arts that they create 
and their life as a community is marked by artistic expressions that uniquely reflect the ethnic backgrounds and the generational diversity of their group. So you've heard how I discovered the relevance and importance of the field of ethnodoxology, and now we've talked about how to define it and the values for local forms of worship, whatever that looks like, that drive ethnodoxological work. Um, it, the problem is, is that in many mission agencies, just as in many churches, art, artists and musicians are marginalized. I see examples of this all the time. Recently, I heard from one of my students, Matt Taylor, who has significant gifts and artistic training, as you can see in the picture. He told me that he grew up in an environment where pursuing arts as a career was a no-go. It wasn't going to happen. He wrote to me after this, he says, I became drawn to church planning and to foreign missions. For many years after that, though, I thought that by choosing to be a missionary, I was laying my arts interest at Jesus' feet, considering it an offering to be completely burned up, turned to ash, and rendered useless. It wasn't until Matt discovered ethnodoxology that he realized that God valued this part of his identity. He writes, God is using this ethnodoxology training to not only equip me, but so many others. And in turn, I am training and equipping cross-cultural church planners with much of the insight I have gained. I love the way the Lausanne Cape Town commitment says it. Artists at their best are truth tellers. So the arts constitute one important way that we can speak the truth of the gospel. We long to see the church in all cultures energetically engaging the arts as a context for mission. If we eliminate local arts in arts expression of the church, we eliminate one of the most powerful means we have for spreading the truth of the gospel. In summary, ethnodoxology affirms that God has given to all cultures all they need in music and arts for the life, worship, and ministry of the church. I thought you would be interested in seeing if anyone really does this in the agencies. So here is a list of some of the organizations that have positions for ethnodoxologists. And although Wycliffe, an organization actually represented here at the conference, is still the organization with the most arts consultants, the number of positions like this in mission agencies is actually growing. Pioneer Bible Translators is also here, and they have, they're very supportive of their ethnodoxologists. If your agency is here at the conference and not on the slide, I would love to talk to you about ways that you can engage with ethnodoxologists in your agency. And then the organization that next works, networks all of these together is the Global Ethnodoxology Network, providing training and resources for fostering local worship globally. So, in short, I believe that the future of missions is that in 25 to 30 years, missions work around the world will have embraced this vision. And that the normal way of doing Local worship, the normal way of doing arts and mission will include ethnodoxology approaches. We are definitely moving toward that goal. And I am super grateful to CIU for including this topic in our 100th anniversary celebration and for giving us a chance to sing our way into the future of worship with Izzy Bongo. In engaging with the global church in this way, we are engaging one aspect of the future of mission, local worship. Thank you.
We hope you found this message a blessing to your life. More Columbia International University Chapel messages are available at iTunes and at podcast.ciu.edu. Learn more about CIU's undergraduate, seminary, and graduate programs at our website, ciu.edu. Columbia International University educates people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. Thank you for the opportunity to minister to you today.